Good evening and welcome. My name is Carol Collard. I'm the City Librarian and it's my very great pleasure to welcome you to this event and to welcome our special guest, Jane Milburn. Um, before we begin, I acknowledge our traditional owners, the Wadarua people, um, the past and present owners of this land on which our event's being held, and I pay my respects to their people, both past and present. Um, our guest this evening, Jane Milburn, is described as a fashion activist, um, a leader at the cutting edge of the slow clothing movement in Australia, bringing awareness to where clothes come from and the resources from which they're made with the aim of inspiring change in the way that we engage with clothing. At no time in history have there been so many clothes, um, certainly in my wardrobe. <laughs> um, we live in a time of fast fashion, cheaply available and easily disposed of. So one of the unforgettable images in the revelationary War on Waste series that was screened on ABC TV last year was of the series presenter Craig Rucastle scaling a six-ton mountain of textile waste in Sydney's Martin Place uh, to show how much clothing is thrown away every 10 minutes in Australia. So I don't know whether you saw that series or indeed that image, it was everywhere, it was a mountain of waste and it was all clothes. Um, so textiles have become the fastest growing household waste stream in Australia, a problem that's uh, compounded by the fact that two thirds of those discards are man-made synthetic fibres that may never actually break down. So Jane says a more thoughtful and engaged approach is, is, sorry, I need my glasses. <laughs> it's certainly needed. It's vital. It's vital. The choices we make when we dress each day can and do influence the kind of world that we live in. As an agricultural scientist and social entrepreneur, Jane's philosophy builds on her research into sustainable clothing culture. She says we need a more holistic approach to the way that we think about, choose and care for what we wear, rather than just focusing on the latest fashion, the colour, the style or indeed the hemline. Jane founded a startup called Textile Beat in 2013 and has developed a slow fashion manifesto, a guide for dressing with conscience and reducing our clothing footprint on the planet. Her book, Slow Clothing, Finding Meaning in What We Wear, was published last year and is available for sale this evening. So please make welcome Jane Milburn. Thank you for that lovely introduction. That's wonderful, Carol. Um, and I'm so thrilled to be here, so thank you for coming out. That's wonderful. We can all come out without eating, but we can't come out without dressing. So this is the thing. It's central to, to how we live. And it's probably appropriate for me to start with um, just to tell you about what I'm wearing here now. These are actually garments that um, in Brisbane, I come from Brisbane, 
and our council there has what's called a tick shop. So a piece of garments on reclaim from the tick shop. So you've got five garments for eight dollars, and um, no, I think it was eight garments for five dollars. <laughs> and this is a beautiful linen and um, some other linen garments here. As we go through the presentation, um, I've got some Victor and Rolf um, high fashion, they're fashion activists from um, Denmark, and I guess in a way this was inspired by them. And I've, I've got these other, various other shell pieces and whatever as well, because I guess for me it's actually about having fun. And my keys for dressing are that I want to be comfortable first up, and then I want to be creative and interesting like that. Everybody has their own style, but that's my style. And um, I also like wearing natural fibres. So um, this, I've realised that um, often when we talk about clothing, it's most of the messaging is around its fashion relevance or context. So, you know, it is that headline, what's the colour for this season, whereas Really, I think there's another whole conversation to be had around health and well-being, and that's I think where where I've arrived at. Um, my brother is professor of planetary health at the University of um, Sydney, and um, I, both of us, I guess, came out of the same mould, and it's really about sustainability and health, and so it's that intersection with health and well-being, which is where I'm going, and. Um, my Sydney, sorry, the Canberra launch recently um, was with Richard Dennis. I don't know whether you know him, and his book is called Curing Affluenza. And um, he actually said, you know, that the antidote to fast fashion is slow clothing. No, he said the antidote to curing, curing affluenza is by ditching fast fashion. So, you know, anyway, we've got this title that has some, some uh, association with that. Um, tonight, um, I need to be careful about the time, so it's up to you to keep me on time because I tend to get pretty excited and talking too much and I really want it to be a conversation for you to have, you know, to be voicing um, your views about clothing as well, so I need to make sure I allow time for that. But the ethical issues uh, with our current culture and where we've arrived at um, is something I want to talk about. How I arrived at the slow clothing philosophy and then actions and choices that we we've all we all can um, do to to change things up. Now um, we've had a bit of my background um, already explained, but um, I started with agricultural science. My first job was as an ABC rural reporter, so I had four years um, doing that. Two in Victoria and two in North Queensland, and that's I met my husband in North Queensland. He's a geologist, so. I wanted to stay there. I ended up working at the Townsville Bulletin as a journalist and then at the Courier Mail and various other jobs. Then I ended up um, doing advocacy work for rural groups and that T-shirt there, the Save the Aussie Banana T-shirt, that was a campaign that I helped the Australian banana industry about. You may have been aware of the Philippines imports issue and that was all around um, pest and disease concerns that the Australian growers had about bringing in bananas. So my job was to do the media work around that and I guess it's those issues-based things that interest me and uh, where I've arrived at now, I came, I, another campaign I did was with Diabetes Queensland, <coughs> looking at, we had 
what was called a swap it program to try and help people make small changes to be more healthy um, and prevent type 2 diabetes and all the other conditions. So that was another issues-based campaign and I guess I arrived, I did the Australian Rural Leadership Program um, and those photos on the bottom are, you know, in, in India was one of our trips there. So that sort of helped me understand that leadership is an action. It's not a position that you have. You're not, you know, doing anything in a particular title. Anyone can decide to lead. And so I guess that's what I just decided to do. I said, thought somebody needs to be speaking out on these issues of concern because I've been doing a lot of bulk shopping. I had, um, in 2011, I went to a Fashion for Flood fundraiser in Brisbane, and I bought Kerri-Anne Kennelly's leather jacket for $70 at a silent auction, and I have to say, I haven't ever worn it since then, um, which is interesting. Um, there's no problem with it, but, you know, maybe I've, I've already got my own leather jacket and I'm not wearing leather at the moment. Uh, you know, like, it's not that I'm averse to it, but it's just parked there. But at the end of the evening, everything was... $2 and I bought 30 t -shirt, 30 shirts, some of them were collared, dressed up, 30 shirts for $60, which is not a huge spend since I'd spent $70 on one garment, <laughs> but it made me realise the volume of used clothing that's available and uh, because I have always sewn some of my own clothes and I usually make bottom parts because I'm a different shape you know, I'm sort of small at the top, which is why this works well for me. It makes my shoulders look nice and wide. Um, and, you know, but I, so I, I've mastered the art of the skirt quite easily. So it was just an, um, an understanding, I guess, about the volume of clothes that are available. And um, so, you know, I, I found my voice around this. And really what I've done is just bring together all of my background, um, all of the things that mean something to me, um, and working from my values, like what I think is important, and um, it's, and then I've, I've sort of created textile be simply just as a vehicle. Um, and I was looking for heart-based things, but a lot of the heart ones were already taken, so that's why the beat is actually like the heartbeat. Um, and textiles is just nice and general to have, like. Um, uh, you know, it covers everything, so I love making handmade paper and all that sort of thing. It's not just about clothing for me. And so I just um, put together all of those aspects that I'm interested in and really have, uh, call myself a sustainability consultant, but, you know, I'm really educating and creating change um, around what we wear. So this is just that timeline. I've given you that 2011 Fashion uh, for Flood fundraiser. And then in 2012, I made outside the door and on the cover of the book here, this is what I call a history skirt. And the lacy bits in it were um, lovely cotton lace that was left over from garments that my mother had made my sister and I when we were growing up. So you just have all these little endy bits that were in a little one kilo tea box. And because I was doing a lot of rock shopping and seeing a lot of collections of people, obviously that, you know, they no longer needed them because they moved on, in, you know, upstairs. And, you know, I was thinking, if I don't use this bit of lace, for example, these pieces of lace, you know, when, when I'm no longer here, you know, my kids are just, they're just going to end up in the op shop like this other stuff. So I just sort of had this feeling, and 
of a need to do something with them. And it's basically honouring, I guess, the, um, my, you know, my mother's work. She was a home economics teacher and um, she had co-authored a textbook called Focus on Living that was in the curriculum for about 20 years. And whilst she did sort of show me her sewing machine, and it was one of those old knee pedal ones, I don't know whether any of you are old enough to know that, but, um, you know, I, she didn't sort of give me any intensive instruction, but I guess I was introduced to a sewing machine, and I'm of an age when we did used to do that. There was a need to actually sew more, which isn't, isn't really now. You, you, well, I'm arguing that you need at least some hand stitching skills. You don't necessarily need the sewing machine. So anyway, um, so I made that history skirt in 2012. 2013, I did the postgraduate study and set up Textile Beat. And then in 2014, I did what I called the Sew It Again project. And um, that's Rebecca Levingston, do it. We did an interview at the end of um, in December 2013, where I, you know, went on the radio and I said, well, you know, I only wear secondhand clothes, and all next year I'm going to be upcycling them. And it was actually quite a big deal for me. I don't know. There wasn't so much talk about wearing secondhand. I think people did it, but you didn't actually speak about it. And I certainly had been wearing some secondhand clothing, making all my own stuff as well, not all of it, you know, complemented with the secondhand. And, you know, it was, I felt it quite a big deal to say, well, I wear secondhand clothes for these reasons. Um, and then, and, and not, I mean, some of them have to do with saving money, but it's actually more than that. And there's always been a stigma about secondhand that, oh, you know, you're poor, you can't afford it, or, you know, people make you feel shame if you're wearing secondhand, but I think that's really changed in the last, you know, since that time. But when I went on the radio, I oh, wear secondhand clothes. It was kind of like, oh my god, I'm out of the plank here. <laughs> but it's it, a lot. There's been a lot of catching up now. It's actually, um, you know, when you say that you wear secondhand, it's it's recognised as being a, a good thing to do in the current situation, and also you're supporting the work of charities as well and helping things go around and. And you get much more variety and more interesting clothes secondhand. So I think the psyche around it has changed a lot in recent years. And so who wears secondhand in here? So a lot of, almost all of you, that's great, yeah. Um, and so 2015, I realised that whilst there's a lot of people wearing secondhand, not many are sewing, and my whole project had been around sewing. So I recognised that there's a bigger story around clothing that isn't just sewing. Um, so, and that's how I came up with the Slow Clothing Manifesto, which I'll talk about later. Um, and 2016, uh, so the Sew It Again project, if you're interested, sewitagain.com, all of those 365 posts are there. You can sort of wade through to find them, but um, you know, that's still there. And then in 2016, I did what I called the Slow Clothing Project, where I, um, showcased, I guess, 40 different makeup stories. So people submitted, um, you know, they sent me a photo of something they'd made, you know, usually sort of from reclaimed material, but not always, but it was sort of handmade and they just told their story. And that's on my website, textilebeat.com, um, under the slow clothing tab. So, that, you know, it was a way of including other people. I don't think I had, I think I had someone from Lake Macquarie, was that kind of in your area here? Yeah, but there wasn't anyone 
from Maitland or, or Newcastle um, came into it. And then I had the opportunity to go to Japan um, in, in 2016 as well and do some stitching there, um, which was great. And it got me quite interested in, the, in hand stitching and borrow techniques. And in 2017, well, here, I, well, actually last year was, um, you know, I contributed to War on Waste and um, there's a TEDx QUT talk and various other things. So I've really sort of stepped into doing um, talks at schools and workshops and, you know, it got sort of quite established now, which is great. But, you know, in recognition of, as I said to you, you know, like that often the context is fashion, but with clothing, because I come from agriculture and a background around a lot to do with food and have followed the slow food movement, you know, I recognise that there's a case for thinking about our clothes doing for the outside, for us on the outside, what food does inside. So it's thinking about clothes in a more holistic, broad way rather than just for their fashion values. And, um, you know, they protect and warm us and influence the way we feel and present to the world. Um, so it was actually my daughter-in-law that used the word philosophy. So I've got her to thank for the fact that, you know, it's actually like what I'm talking about is a philosophy, a way of living that is thinking about and choosing and wearing clothes for values of, you know, what works for you, not what's currently on trend according to anybody or, you know, that, that whole fashion um, magazines and, you know, like all, all this whole feeling about, well, if you're not wearing this, you, you're not on the page, you know, it's kind of like, really doesn't relate, it's not relevant to too many people somehow. And the other thing too that I've always thought is that knowing from diabetes that 60% of um, Australians and, you know, most developed countries of the world were overweight. So these skinny presentations of models looking beautiful is not necessarily very relevant to us. So. That's why there was sort of a need for another conversation. And then um, through, I guess, probably the Soda Game year, I got invited to speak at the Home Economics um, Conference and do some professional development workshops with teachers. And so that's when I had to sort of start thinking about this, the context. And this was back in 2015 before, you know, much of this was, it sort of seems to be out more in the public domain now with, Fashion Revolution has, you know, picked up on a lot of the waste issues. Um, we definitely have the, you know, they they were started in, in um, 2014 was the first Fashion Revolution um, activity in April, recognising the Rana Plaza factory collapse, which you're probably um, aware of. So these are five ethical issues that I just wanted to want to go through. Um, this year, Fashion Revolution is April 22 to 29, and they use the hashtag, this is their logo here, be curious, find out, and do something. Um, and um, they use the hashtag, who made my clothes? So it's actually thinking about if you're buying clothes, looking at the label, where do they come from, who might have been um, making them? Because 92% of clothing that's bought new in Australia now is made overseas. So the other way to look at that is 8% is made locally, and if we support local makers, well, you know, we rebuild that. Um, because with globalisation and the cheapness, you'd sort of know that story I'm seeing in here is that the brand mill was in this area, you know, and that's 
that was all that loss of jobs came about because we shifted it all offshore and trusted these global supply chains. And it's those supply <coughs> chains that make it cheap and easy. And if you think about fast food, and we've got fast fashion, and they're all, like, with the price for a McDonald's hamburger, I think, you know, like five or six dollars, whereas if you fully priced it, it's more than a hundred dollars, you know, looking at the environmental impact and all that kind of thing. So I guess it's about thinking beyond the immediate purchase and the price for that. Um, the True Cost documentary is worth watching if you haven't seen that already. Who's seen that? Yeah, it's a bit grim. Um, but it's, it's, it's realistic, it shows what's actually happening when you, when you buy clothes from, you know, cheaply on the supply chain without knowing um, the ethics and the values around how they're made. Um, so it, I, it's available on Netflix if you are a subscriber there. Um, so when I started looking at this, I went um, seeking information about what actually was going on, you know, I had these this experience buying all this garments for $2. And, and I also was observing that there's a lot of um, synthetic fibres around now, and that's polyester mainly, nylon, acrylic. So um, I, I found some figures, which is this data and the, the, another graph, not the immediate next one, but the subsequent one, that I crunched some numbers to show the bottom solid line is, is um, population increase over 20 years, well, more than 20 years, 20, um, is it 25 years, so it's gradually been increasing. And then the top line is per person consumption of um, apparel fibre, which is a, equivalent to clothes, although there's at least 15 to 20% is lost on the cutting room floor, but it's a comparison. So we, we had seven kilos per person on average a decade, two decades ago, and now we're up to 13, yet there's still only 365 days in a year. So we've, had, we've doubled our consumption without um, any apparent need for it. Um, this, just, this is a graph from Textile World, just to give you the context, because the other one was an average, whereas this shows in the middle that bar Ost, you see Ost, that's for Australasia. So we're the second largest consumer in the world. On the left is NAM, North America. They're the largest with 37 kilos per person. And then there's us, and then there's Western Europe is the next one. And it's interesting that Taiwan and Japan and South Korea are so high as well. This graph actually also shows the red bars are the MMF, which is the man-made fibre. So this is the polyester and green is cotton and the um, orange is wool. So most of the natural fibre is, um, is cotton. So this is that same, that earlier data presented in a different way and you can see the yellow, that yellowy green bar there is um, natural fibres and it hasn't really changed over the timeline. <coughs> so the production is much the same and we can't actually increase natural fibres too much because it competes with um, land that we need for food. So, but the blue bars are the um, polyester. So you can see that all the increase in, in um, clothing is mainly coming from synthetic fibres derived from petroleum. And the other <coughs> thing, uh, Dr. Mark Brown is a scientist who found, he did this research in 2011, I found it in 2014, um, 
that when we wash synthetic clothing, we're actually shedding microplastic particles that end up in the ocean. Um, so all that increase in the fibres being polyester, we've got, we're creating a large uh, environmental <coughs> problem that we're only becoming aware of. So his, his research showed that one polyester garment can shed up to 2,000 fibres per wash. It's mainly those um, fleecy, you know, fleecy jumpers and things like that. They, they lose more, but I think everything, when you think about polyester garments, they don't, they don't break down, so they're shedding um, as they go. And, and I, I noticed also that when I was over at Spotlight that a lot of the homewares now are synthetics as well. So <coughs> I think it's something that's really going to come to the fore in another five years. It'll be really interesting to see where we're at um, because there's some quite big influential people now speaking out about this polyester issue. So uh, something for you to be aware of. Um, with the waste and pollution, this um, photo on the left is actually in a clearinghouse in Brisbane with one of the, um, I, I think it's either Lifeline or Vinnie's. Um, and that's, they're all stacked up there. You can see the little bobcat on the left, that's mm. to give you a sense of scale. Um, this is going into the second-hand trade. So what happens when you donate? Does anyone work in an op shop or volunteer in an op shop? Yes, yes. So quite a lot of stuff coming in all the time. And my understanding uh, from NAPRO, the National Association of Charitable Recyclers, is that um, about 15% of donations will be resold in local op shops. Um, about uh, 50%. 50% goes into the second-hand trade, about 15% becomes industrial rags and about 15 to 25% goes straight to landfill. Um, this one on the right, I'm not saying that's going from the charity shops, but um, that's because you can't really get in to see what happens in landfill, but somebody posted that photo on social media and tagged me in it, so that's how I found it and actually see that with my own eyes, but I, I don't think it's a mock-up. You know, so we, and what's happened is that in 2012, we were exporting 70 million kilos from Australia. And as I was writing my book, I wanted to update that and found that it's gone up to 88 million kilograms. Mm -hmm. So that's an increase of 25% in four years that we're sending offshore. And it's sold, it's not donated, it's sold for a dollar a kilo. And um, a lot of it, and I did ask that question, you know, are we exporting our waste? You know, it might have some use, but if it's not good enough for us to use or sell in our op shops, then that means it's, you know, less quality. And it ends up having to be disposed of if they don't want it, you know, like we're, we're sending it offshore. And in fact, African countries are now pushing back and saying they're trying to ban Western clothing. So, that's not going to be an option for us in the future about you know how to get rid of our surplus either. And um, as mentioned earlier, 6,000 kilograms every 10 minutes to landfill um, and from war on waste. So the other aspect of this is because clothes have become so cheap, we've lost our skills and ability and understanding about clothing and really a whole generation of people don't have so who uses a sewing machine? Just for 
Yes, I quite a few of you here. Um, but across the population, not many do. And in actual fact, I tend to, at my workshops now, I usually focus on hand sewing because it's something everybody can do, whereas the sewing machine is like, it's it's a bridge too far sometimes. So I think in terms of reintroducing, at least if you can use a needle and thread, you can mend a side seam if it pops or take up a hem or, you know, sew a patch over a spill or, you know, do do those things. So I think it's something that we all can do, uh, whereas the sewing machine remains the province of, you know, specialists. Like, Cathy, I should introduce you from Newcastle Upcyclers. Um, so if any of you are interested in doing more locally, then Newcastle Upcyclers is the way to go. So you want to stand up, Cathy? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Cathy does amazing work. In fact, you're wearing something you've done, Cathy. Yes. So in in view of all those ethical issues, you know, I've, I've sort of realised that we need a new story to think about how can we, you know, what can we do. So these are the actions, these are 10, ten things that you, know, you can do to really survive and thrive. It starts with thinking, and I notice on the front of Vogue magazine now, they've, they've got Emma Watson as guest editor, and she's talking about thoughtful fashion. So this is where thinking comes in. Um, making informed and ethical choices is a really good place to start, and thinking before you buy, you know, do you need that? How's it going to fit into your wardrobe and all those kind of things? Natural fibres, obviously, we want to um, preference them. Buying quality and buying local, supporting local makers. And I was in that beautiful shop in Newcastle with um, high tea with Mrs. Wu, I think it was, and just beautiful linen and very special garments that are, you know, they're not cheap, but you're buying something that you can have for wear for decades. So it's it's a change of thinking to this volume, obesogenic, you know, gorging on cheap stuff that you might wear once or twice, um, instead of thinking longer term and, and more strategically. Just having a few, I'm not very good at that one. <laughs> I'm sort of not quite And I like variety. And, and of course, because a lot of my garments are Salvaged and, and sometimes I go across them several times too that I've upcycled them a number of times so you know I think I can justify having quite a few. Um, caring is a big thing, a big part of our foot footprint, the way that we care for clothes. Making, thinking about it as a life skill and it's also very empowering um, to be able to know how to fix something. So I think that's underrated in this world of oh we can just throw it out and buy another one. It's actually the satisfaction of being being able, you know, having autonomy is really important. Um, reviving garments. Um, my local council, Brisbane City Council, as a result of my lobbying, they, they have a revive event. Um, we're coming up to the third year. It's in the centre of the city and they get the um, all the op shops to have a pop-up fashion festival and it's mainly aimed at young people. It brings it to the centre and they have you know, it's a fun event, so so they're really on board in terms of seeing this as, a, as another way of engaging with clothes. Adapting, that's what I do, and then salvaging is making sure, you know, I guess by donating, passing on. Using it, like with collage down the back, I'm sure that's got a lot of repurposed um, fibres in them, you know, for being creative. Um, and also composting, the natural fibres you can compost. 
Uh, whereas the synthetics, as I said, I don't think they ever decay. Uh, plastics, they're just like we're having a whole campaign around plastics and the environment. And synthetic clothes are plastic clothes. We just haven't realised it. So thinking, this is something, because my children have mostly left home now and we've got the big house and a lot of stuff, realise that I'm really stopping buying absolutely everything because if you don't use it, if it's not something you can use up, then you've got to think about what, where's it going to go? Like it's hard to get rid of stuff. And I saw these beautiful white coffee mugs when I was in Kmart the other day. I just went there to get some photocopy paper. I don't normally go in there because I've got no need for anything. But I was there and there's gorgeous white coffee mugs, you know, quite slim and nice looking, 75 cents each, you know. And I just thought, that's, you know, you can understand, like, you just sort of buy that and turn it over, but it's kind of like how many, and, and I, felt, I actually felt sorry for the op shops trying to sell mm -hmm. cups when you can go in there and buy those new, and just thinking about the fact that Kmart has got a 50, you know, they'll have a markup on it, so mm -hmm. just, and they've come from China, so they've been transported, and it just doesn't make sense, and I think, we need to push back against that by by sort of refusing to buy into that um, that sort of cheap and nasty stuff. Really, not that I'm saying they're necessarily nasty, but it's too much. Um, and the other thing is to not always think that you need to be buying new and everything. You know, this next thing will make your life right. You know, when you buy this, so it's actually about embracing imperfection and celebrating that as a way of being. Because when you embrace it in the, all your things around you and you're mending and patching and making do a little bit, um, you know, it, it's easier for, you're not trying to aim to always be perfect. And it takes the pressure off, actually, I find. And I guess it's easy for me because I'm advocating in this space, but that's why I can have all this frayed stuff because, you know, like, it's... To me, it's fun, and I guess it's my statement. It does depend on where you're at. Sometimes people do have to be more neat and conservative in the way that they dress, but you can still do a lot. You don't need to be um, perfect all the time. This is another um, analogy because of my food um, background. It's thinking about, you know, like with food waste, which we're now, you know, I guess you've probably got a campaign happening here, have you, in your council? I know our council is, you know, trying to stamp out food waste because at least a third, well, no, it's actually, it's not perhaps quite, one bag out of five bags is our food is thrown away, you know, when we, what we bring home. So, and part of that is because it's gone past the use-by date and people are worried about food safety. But um, I think, you know, councils are certainly encouraging people not to be so prescriptive on the use-by date. And my analogy is with clothing, there is no use by date. You know, you can wear them until they wear out. And that's really what we ought to be doing. Um, natural fibres, everyone know what the natural fibres are? You know, these ones on the left, wool and cotton we grow in Australia, they're an, an alpaca, but it's a small volume um, one. Um, and then linen, silk, hemp and cashmere, we don't, we don't grow here. Linen is my favourite um, fibre. Linen and hemp are much the same. I probably should switch them over. Silk is... Um, a lot of people feel that it's delicate, um, but
but you can hand wash it quite readily, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing what, yeah, the only thing is the shrinkage, like once it's shrunk once, it doesn't really shrink anymore. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great fibre. Um, and they also take colour really well if you're into eco dyeing. The silk and wool are fabulous for doing some colour change with leaves or onion skins are wonderful. Um, purple cabbage, purple carrots, all that, you know, putting some prints on things really enlivens it and it gives it a personal touch then as well. These other fibres to the right there, they're, um, they're man-made natural fibres. Um, I haven't even put the synthetics up there, but they're polyester, acrylic and nylon. But these ones here, and bamboo's been very popular recently. Um, Lysol, modal and tensile are all pretty much the same thing. They're, they're from mainly from trees, they're but all of these are reconstituted using chemicals. So they're broken down and then re-spun. They are fabulous fibres really, except for that chemical issue. And that's happening not in our country, it's happening overseas where we can't see it. And part of that is because, you know, in Australia obviously we've got much higher environmental standards. So in a way we're outsourcing that stuff over there. But if you've already got these fibres, then they last well and they wear well, and that's what we should be doing. And I'm not saying not to buy them, like everybody has their own choices in terms of what they do. But So they are good, they wash well, wear well. Um, they're not shedding plastic, and that's a big, um, big point in their favour. You've left out um, um, no hair. Yes, yeah, and partly why I leave out no hair is because I find it very scratchy not going to wear it myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it depends. Relatively minor. So I guess I'll put you cashmere in there. Cashmere is a good. Yes. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, so I put out that in there. But um, I guess it's volume. Are, are you, do you farm them or grow yeah, them? No, I did. I have them now. Yes, yeah. Cashmere yeah. cash is not it's not it's not Sometimes in those Elizabethan dramas that 
there was always perhaps a woman in the family that was designated to be doing the clothing and the mending and all of that. And it was seen as a that they were trapped by by the sewing. Um, so often I think you know men embracing um, stitching and sewing is a way of bringing it back. Oh, there's another man there. <laughs> Down the back there. Um, you know, it's a way of uh, taking it across society, I guess, and making it a valuable life skill. Oh, and another one. So we've actually got three males in the room. That's good. Um, is that the end of it? Is there only three or more? So that's, that's fabulous. Anyway, so these are fellows that have attended my clothing repair cafes over time, and I, I like to celebrate them. But um, almost all garments can be hand-washed. This is safely using the chemicals in um, dry cleaning. Um, the only thing I don't hand-wash is, um, you know, jackets that have got a whole lot of structure or coats. But I do actually. I've got a cashmere coat that I've washed them all. But just in my suit, um, I've got a Veronica Main wool suit that I bought new, um, and I haven't actually washed that. Tell you the truth, I haven't dry cleaned it either, so I just only wear it for special occasions and not for too long. Um, so, you know, but the way we care for clothes is really a way of extending them. And we, I mean, in Australia, everyone seems to use cold water, but a lot of the overseas literature on this talks about not using hot water. And, um, and I always give my clothes a shake and hang them up on hangers and just make sure the collars are sitting right, and then I never iron, even though I only wear natural fibres. So, uh, but that's me, you know, and, my, and your body heat takes takes it out sufficiently. Like, you can see a few crinkles in this, but I don't think anybody cares that much anymore, do they? Um, so, um, making, and just thinking about sewing and stitching as a life skill, and that does give you, you know, enables you to provide for yourself and, and be confident, um, and enjoy what you've got instead of always having to go out and find that perfect new thing. Um, I also love um, making because you know it's it's kind of it's the, that meaning aspect. It's I like to have to own something, you know, own in quote marks, <coughs> put your own mark on it. Um, it's also um, very sustainable to be reusing and buying from the op shop and. In a world where we're, you know, heading towards, you know, well, seven and a half billion people in the world at the moment, and you know, there's too much stuff everywhere. We just can't keep living the way we we are. And um, you know, the various green groups will say that we're using more than a year of resources in a calendar year. You know, it's actually come back to about September we've used what is our, you know theoretical allocation for that year. So we can't keep doing that. We're actually eating into the future um, future generations. Um, and making, this is actually from uh, knitting research, but this is about how making is actually good for our health as well. Um, you know, it's been shown to relieve stress and you know work with your hands. Who considers themselves to be a maker and be knitting or stitching or doing something, so maybe half the group, yeah. And I mean, it's it's enjoyable, isn't it? It's relaxing, particularly knitting and also hand stitching, like they're quite portable, which is a great thing as well. Um, it actually, it sh the research has shown it um, slows down 
um, cognitive decline, it slows, you know, which is a nice way of saying it, you know, keeps you younger and stops you getting dementia. Um, so this is my theory uh, around um, secondhand, because I, I guess in this space, um, and on Instagram, we have a lot of you know new beautiful things that we can buy that have ethical, sustainable values, and maybe we want to buy some of them. But in actual fact, if you buy secondhand, it's even more organic than organic because everything comes with a footprint, every every bit of making. So. There's nothing actually more um, organic than <coughs> buying from a second-hand shop that's already been washed. All those chemicals that we might worry about have gone from the garments and it doesn't add production stress to the environment. So, you know, there's quite a lot of greenwashing in this space now and that's just something to be aware of as you become more attuned to what you're buying. Um, this is... Uh, upcycling now. Um, I've had the good fortune to go to the Boro Museum in Tokyo and this, the people who controlled the textiles back in this day, these were farmer clothes so it was from you know a poor area and they're probably going back to about the 20s and it's all stitched over stitched and now there's quite a lot of this kind of shishiko stitching in Boro which is the Boro technique. Um, over denim, um, a lot of it goes on now. And it, it basically just means that you can keep wearing things until they wear out. And they just um, have so much character when, when you do um, add some stitching. It's also something you can do in a very freeform way, like there's no rules about it. So you can just have a little play and that's, that's that fun, creative um, mending and making of clothes is actually not only fun, it's, um, it's being resourceful as well. So these are the characteristics of upcycling, I feel. It's creative, it's individual, it's limitless, it's mindful, empowering, ethical. There's a whole lot more adjectives that you can use in there, but this is to the upcycle, you know, to the adapting part of the Slow Clothing Manifesto. And I've actually got um, a little printout of the manifesto if you want to take that later. Um, adapting, um, this Victor and Rolf, I mentioned earlier that that's what sort of what inspired this method. Um, not that mine is anywhere near theirs, but um, they had an exhibition that was at the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne um, last year. And they, these are photos from Vogue website, and if you wanted to Google Victor and Rolf, you'd find there's about 40 different ones. This was one of their collections in 2016, where they cut up waste fabric and old collections and recreated them. So it was very exciting for we upcyclers to see, wasn't it, Cathy, to, to have it taken at such a high level um, to be doing this and making it, they made it um, every day, really. These are some of mine from um, the Revive event I mentioned. Um, these crocheted shorts and the top, that was, a, a blanket that I bought from an op shop for $20 and my daughter and I turned it into um, shorts for her to wear the splendour if she wanted crochet shorts. And um, on the, the other one, it's a bit harder to see it, it's um, got, uh, it's onion skin dyed um, wool um, top and skirt 
And in fact, Kathy's, Kathy's had a garment in, um, on the Slow Clothing Project, and that would actually appear in one of, in the, on the Revive, um, cap, well, it's not really a cap, runway, uh, although the stilt walkers were, were wearing it anyway. And um, that was in 2016. And we've had another one since then, and there'll be another one this year. So these are some, this is just some of the salvaging work that I do with denim and um, at some of the workshops you need little projects that people can do. So this, oh, in fact that one that's in the photo is this here. Mm -hmm. I, I made this in Japan from two cut up um, t-shirts and it's just knotted together and I finger crocheted that. So you, do, you, you, know, you don't need the crochet hook, you just go around. And it's just kind of experimenting and playing and working it out. Like, I guess sometimes people need a pattern, but I really encourage people to try and not, you know, do freeform because that way it's so much better for you and you're not trying, you don't have to buy any new resources. It's a great thing to do to use what you've already got around you. Um, and this, is, of course, is my denim penny, which is my protest penny. You know, like all of my clothes, I guess I've seen them as a bit of a statement. This one here on the door is one that I made in Western Australia last year. And my, the other thing I recommend if you're just starting out with upcycling is get something that fits you around here mm -hmm. and just alter the edges and the bottom. And that dress had little puffy sleeves, which you can't, oh, we can't turn it around, but later when we get it down, you can see I've cut the sleeves off and I made them into pockets on the front because that's actually the back of the garment. And, mm -hmm. and that's a, um, a, a runner, you know, a table runner. So there's the little pockets there. And, and then the little lace collar was um, a 60 cents as is, um, do, you know, doily thing. It's all hand, it's Belgian lace. and. And I cut the centre out of the doily and the, it overlaps the hem that bit there. And then there's a t-shirt, a uh, tablecloth, the creamier one. Um, so that that is all hand-stitched together. I mean, because the top of that, all that, um, what do you call that stuff? You know, shirring. Yeah, that was already done on the garment. So that's a $4 dress that I embellished with about um, $15 worth of linen, it wasn't even $15, actually probably only about $10. So pretty cheap dress that, you know, just sort of made up of beautiful fabrics and stitched together just while I was, and using needle and thread, uh, visiting our son in Western Australia. So it's, it's got a story, you know, there's no other one around like it. And it's, um, I guess I find it interesting and I'm trying to make it so you don't have to go to that extreme, but even just using a little bit of needle and thread is uh, a handy thing. So um, this is the, that American that I spoke to you about with the uh, dressing is an agricultural, well, he said eating is an agricultural act. He also had an eater's manifesto. That's Michael Colvin, actually, is his name. And he wrote In Defense of Food. Um, so he's a well-known um, food writer. And his eater's manifesto was eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And that was really in response to industrial food. So I've got this, you know, the, the clothing version is to wear clothes as distinct from fashion that might be out next, next week or next year. So think of it as clothes and have few um, and mostly natural fibres. 
my sons ride bikes and so they say, oh, we need our light rail. <laughs> and, you know, like I'd swim a lot and there's not really an alternative to having synthetic, you know, having polyester swimsuit. So, um, so we need, we obviously need some polyester in our lives, but, um, you know, really as, as we become more aware of the problems of plastic, we, we need to be focusing on natural fibres. So that's my book. Um, and uh, it was launched in Sydney by Craig Roo Castle, and we had a bit of a joke about sewing on a button. So the um, friend that helped me, she did the, she's a graphic, uh, just a graphic artist, did the drawings for me. She asked me to get a photo of Craig with one of her drawings, so I chose that one. And um, he was great actually at that launch. He said, "Oh, it's a lot of information here. I wish we had this before we did the program." So. Um, it, it's interesting, I think there's more to go on this whole skill development area and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what follows um, that particular program. This is Richard Dennis in um, Canberra. He's the author of um, Curing Affluenza I mentioned before. And I'm quite excited because Costa Georgiatis from um, Gardening Australia is launching it in Melbourne um, on the 19th of March, if anyone happens to be down there. so. I really, I, you know, I love Costa's earthy, creative style, and you know, I think he'll um, bring some um, an interesting, another interesting perspective because it just reflects all the different ways of thinking about clothing. And this was the Brisbane launch. Uh, that's the councillor over on the right-hand side, Councillor Peter Maddock, and I'm meeting him again on Monday to talk about like with Revive. He wants to do it to take it further, so we're having a chat about a few other things there. And uh, Rebecca Levingston, I don't know whether you recognise her, she was in that first photo, she interviewed me back in 2014, so that's why I asked um, her to do that. And we had it at a friend's place, um, who, she's a um, wellness practitioner, so it's really thinking about that mindful art therapy component and in Newcastle, um, this morning we had a hands-on workshop there and there was a woman who does art therapy and she's, you know, really interested in all of these elements too because it's so readily available and you can do it um, and it, it's affordable for people to use these resources instead of having to buy new. The guy at the end, what's he got on? Oh, Pete Lewis. He, you might have known, Pete used to be on Landline um, and he's he loves being loud, so he's got this captain that he bought second hand. And I forget the joke he made about it. It was something like um, something about how his wife Gorelli said, "Oh, you know, he shouldn't wear, you know, shouldn't wear that or shouldn't buy that. He wouldn't, you know, would whatever." And another friend in the audience said, "No, you shouldn't be wearing it because he does look a bit like a clown." But it was second hand, so I guess he was um, showing that that. Um, and he was the MC for the day, or what for that session. It wasn't really a day. So thinking about, um, you know, maybe if you want to be making changes based on what you know about um, the ethics of clothing culture, it's actually just really, it is about sort of calling a halt to mindless buying just for the sake of it. And, you know, it doesn't only apply for your clothes, it's everything in life, you know, to, we don't need to be buying so much. And it was, I loved having Richard Dennis um, as a, he's an economist, and really what he was saying is that 
you know, we've only got so much money to spend and we can choose it, you know, to um, pay someone to do our smashed avocados on toast. He's actually put that in his book and we can spend it there and develop a cafe culture rather than on other things. So I guess if you're trying to sell new clothes, it's a bit of a problem and people might not like the message that I'm saying, but I'm only really... I'm not telling anyone not to buy, I'm just saying buying more strategically. So, and it's thinking about just calling a halt for a while because almost all of us would say that we've got enough clothes to wear, like we're not going to not have anything to wear. Mm -hmm. So think about, you know, having a bit of a halt, thinking about what your needs are and what style you like. Like it takes quite a while to arrive at your style. I mean, some people like the Facebook founder, like he just wears his grey shirt and his jeans. Well, that's fine. And, and Steve Jobs just wore his black skivvy. Um, so you can have, you know, that signature style, but some sort of style. And I, I know for me, I don't like too many fitted things because my weight goes up and down a lot. So there's no point having fitted clothes that, you know, certain times you can't fit into. So I like nice loose things. And, and I guess I've learned that being wide here is good. It balances off my hips here. So everybody's a different shape, and it's just studying that. And you know, there are things that people call style and um, stylists and, and style consultants where you can get some help if you if you can't sort of work that out for yourself. So it's studying what you need and then sorting what you've already got at home in your wardrobe. Often there's stuff in the back there, like I know. One of our journalists in Brisbane said, you know, she had five denim jackets that she bought, and they were all pretty much the same. But for some reason, she had accumulated five, and you only she felt she only needed one. So, sorting what you've already got, so you can find it as well. I have a bit of a problem like that, you know. I know that I've got a top, and I'm rummaging through, you know, like because you have certain things that go with others, and unless you've got them hanging. With my wool and a lot of my knits, I roll them up. I've got a glass bookcase, book, two bookcases together, and I just roll everything up so I can see them all. But they still can get a bit lost. So sorting out what you've already got is a good thing. And then seeking responsible choices going forward. Um, so that's me. And oh, look, I'm down for the time, haven't I? Oh, the seven o'clock is going off, so that's great. So I guess. Um, does anybody have any anything they would like to contribute or yes. any questions? Yes. Yes, we've made a rule in our family: no more presents. Oh, and I started that because I'm trying to trying to declutter my house yes. after just you know, seventy-five years of getting yes. presents for every Mother's yes. Day. Yes. 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 But Christmas and nearly all of them are actually unwanted presents. Yes. And never need any of them. And, and it's become a real... This, this is actually a huge issue, and it came up last night. I mean, I'm the same. Like, I tell my children that I don't, I don't want presents, thanks. Don't buy me a present. Make me a nice card. That's all I want from them. Because I prefer to buy what I need when I need it rather than be given this stuff. And I, and I think it is what you're articulating is a huge issue. And there's also always so much pressure, isn't there, to show you care for mum, buy this yeah. or that. And this is the marketing that is across society that we've got to just say, well, actually, no, you know. And so how did your family respond to that? Well, or? they weren't very happy at first. But and why weren't they happy? 
Because it's what we've always done, always, yeah. you know? Like, like you said, it's like you're showing someone that you yes. Yeah. Now I'm saying, if you care, you won't be here anymore. Because yes. my house is too full and I can't yes. fit in here. Yes. And I hate almost everything. Why have I still got this and I've got to remember to put it somewhere yeah. where the person, when they're visiting, that they can see it? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I, I, think, I think we need to let go of all that stuff. Oh, do. I really do. Um, so maybe you can clear out some of that and try to like, go somewhere just, else. Yeah, yeah. but the, the sad thing is it's like those 75 dollar white, those 75 cent white mugs, you know, that people don't necessarily want the stuff. And, you know, so it's tricky, but I think you're doing the right thing by just saying no. Um, anyone else got issues or feedback on gifts? Yeah. I, I just, I mean, as I say, I'm doing the same thing. I just say I don't want it. But it's interesting that my, particularly my daughters-in-law, not so much my sons, but they're wanting to make the big to-do the over Christmas and all of that, presents for everyone, and I just think, I'll just give them money in an envelope now, so I'm not engaging in it. But they do tend to buy some things for me, which I don't, I don't really want them to do. But I guess we haven't quite had that conversation yet. And everybody arrives places at a, at different times, don't they? You know, in terms of being ready. Um, but yeah, that's a good start by having conversations about it. So any other questions? See in the slide of the landfill with those clothing. I read somewhere that if anybody puts clothing beside a um, yes. reception yes. bin, bin. Yes. they're contaminated. Yes. And so they would be taken straight away to landfill. Yes. Yes. So if it's yes. not inside the bin, yes. then they're not allowed to do anything with it. Yes. And maybe that's where... Um, well, it could be that. It could be that. But also, like oh, we find in Brisbane that um, there's not so many bins available, you know. So you actually tend to have to take clothes mm-hmm. to the op shop now because there there is that contamination um, issue. But also they get full. And, yeah. You know, you see it like, particularly. Excuse me. Over at Christmas when everybody's clearing out all mm-hmm. our stuff that they were given last year, yeah. <laughs> you know, to bring in the new stuff, and so. I just think we've got a huge problem about consumption generally in places like Australia. So it is being really mindful because it actually costs, and I think there was a show, or maybe it was a more on waste, or there was another one on the SBS where they were saying, one of the Smith family or something was saying it cost them a million dollars to send that stuff to landfill. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's right. So it's actually costing, it's detracting from the charities. Mm-hmm. And, and I often have this, this thought in my mind, like, should I be putting it, should I be donating it, or should I just throw it in my own bin? And it's kind of hard to know. It's really hard to know. Um, but I guess having a thought process means, you know, you're sort of getting closer to that. But yes, we shouldn't be just putting things. Um, and I know I took um, a photo outside one of our salvos in Brisbane, which is closed on Sunday, because they're often open on Saturday now. And even on a Sunday, like there's all this stuff like people yeah. wanting to drop off and they just dump it is yeah. sort of kind of dumping yeah. off, isn't yeah. it? Too late that was, in. Yeah, the same thing happened up here at the Red Cross shop. Yes. It was closed over Christmas till the eighth of January. Yes. But someone had a trolley full of stuff yes. that was there probably on 
the 30th of December. Yes. And they would have read the sign, but yes. that didn't matter. They'd taken it there. Yes. They just wanted to leave it there. Yes. And it was yeah. left, um, somebody must have taken it. But I had visions of, on New Year's Eve, it all being strewn all over mm, yes. the living because it was just yeah. left there without yes. And you actually see clothes lying around more now. You know, people just, you know, mm. too hard, just yeah. throw that off there. And so the textiles are kind of polluting mm. the environment as well. Yeah. But yeah, so it's really good to be thinking different, you know, thinking responsibly. And I actually think it does push back to that point of not buying it in the first place, you know. Mm. Buying well so that you, you know, like we've got linens <coughs> on our bed, for example, and they cost a lot of money to buy, but mm. you know, they will last for decades, I mm. think. Yeah. You know, so just just not going there on any cheap yeah. stuff and I won't be throwing them out because once they wear out I'll wear them as rags or patch my clothes with them yeah. or do something like that. <laughs> so any other questions or points? I was just I found I've up shopped all my life basically mm. and uh, when I first moved to, to this area about twenty years ago the op shops, there are quite a, a lot of them, and they're really good quality. Mm. And I, I actually really don't op shop much anymore. I have to go to an up, upcycling or something because whether they've moved to, to the big cities or whatever, but you don't have the quality, quality that you used to. No, you no. used to find natural. I mean, I've got some beautiful yes. old, you know, things yes. that are magnificent. But now when you go into the op shops around here, mm, they're all like I shouldn't say the first like the Miller stuff. It's yes. all yes, synthetic. Yeah. I'll go through and there's just absolutely nothing. Whereas I could spend, I could get you know, five things a week. Yes. You know, which I wouldn't now. Yeah. But you know, in those days, yes. it's just not the quality. So it's yes. sort of like um, even the the second hand shops in the country, anyway. Mm. I you I think it's happened in, in, in cities as well. To it. Yeah. Well, the quality of everything is yeah. kind of slipped yeah. out. Yeah. It is harder to find. Yeah, maybe well, it's just the fast fashion of just throwing yeah. it out. It's just well, you know, for 15 to 20 years, we've had the cheap mm. stuff. And mm. I guess as, you know, you only tend to get quality things when people pass on, you know, yeah. like that ends up there. Um, because most older people are holding on to those treasure, mm. you know, that they had. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's a definite issue, and I don't think it's just here. I think it's everywhere that the quality of secondhand has gone down. And I find sometimes if people have <coughs> a culture and a history of op shopping, and you start talking about op shopping and all that, you know, like, and there's a lot of people yeah. doing it now. They go once and they can't find anything, and they think, what's all that about? You know, like yeah. and it's terrible, big jumble and everything. Whereas we know that you can find the treasure, and you do have to keep going, but. To tell you the truth, I can't op shop anymore because I don't need anything. Else. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm out of market. 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 I'm and the good stuff is snapped up by other people. And sometimes so. you can just be lucky and find something straight away. Yeah, you can. Yes. Then you go four more times and there's nothing there. There's nothing. Yeah, and then you stop for a while. Yeah. yeah. And I found it, I, yeah, I, I, I find it quite hard. I have bought some shoes in op shops, but mostly I have bought them new. You know, it's not so easy to find shoes that, mm. that work for you. But 
Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it's right. It just reflects the overall poor yeah. quality yeah. of of yeah. garments now. Yeah, that's not. Well, so much of our fast fashion is really made to be worn once or twice. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. And this is what you know, young girls going shopping from the shop really differently to how yeah. we did yeah, two, two decades, three decades ago, where you'd yeah. go to find, you know, a nice new top to yes. wear out. Whereas now Investment pieces so many teenagers they'll have a, a, a sad day out shopping with their friends and come home in bags of stuff. Mm. Because it doesn't matter mm. if it's been so cheap. So yes. if you don't even wear it at all, yeah. it, it really doesn't matter. Which, and you see a lot in the odd shop, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you know, so I think, and, and I don't know whether that education starts in schools. I know sustainability is in the curriculum more now. And yeah, and um, I know certainly the textile students uh, you know, having to upcycle something and, you know, they're, they're learning more about it, but it's not, they're not all the students are being taught that. Um, so, and yeah. textile classes, unfortunately, are disappearing from the high levels. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, if they do it in years uh, seven and eight, yes. but by the time you're having to elect to do textiles and design, what we're finding is that increasingly they're not getting enough kids to even run a class. And also the teacher, like having a, a teacher who knows something about yeah, it too yeah, and can yeah. inspire sometimes yeah. problems. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely um, something that we need to have more conversation around where we're going and where we want to go. But I find, you know, there is a, there's a resurgence of interest in young people about sewing now. They actually want to get more involved with it. And I think just the way we, you know, like you look, uh, we're doing a lot more preserves and craft beer and all these things that we used to outsource to the supply chain, um, but we've realised the benefit of making for ourselves. And I think, I think there is an interest in, in, um, in sewing, but I guess I'm, I think there's still a lot of people that aren't. aren't, aren't um, exciting again. Yeah, but it's it, and it's kind of about the time as well, like putting the time aside to learn the skill and then to make something and to be happy with it. And I always try and encourage people to wear it anyway, like, and that's that whole thing about imperfection. Like, love it because you made it, not some slave over there. You know, you actually made it for yourself. And and when particularly with the hand stitching and modifying. You know, you can kind of um, make it work for you. And this, somebody I follow on Instagram, she posted this outfit, this little sort of shifty kind of, it was a short that she'd made out of uh, indigo dyed fabric. And she spoke about the wonky darts that she'd sort of added in here afterwards to make the bodice fit properly. And that was sort of stitched. And you could see that one was different to the other one. <laughs> and, and I just loved that she acknowledged they're wonky darts, but hey, they're my darts. I loved it. So it's actually thinking about, well, it's great because I've done it. And I think if we, if we try and encourage that approach, I think it's really good for life in so many ways. When you have, when you look at the um, mental health issues arising amongst people, a lot of that is 
a sort of a, a feeling like not good enough, that, you know, disaffected, oh, I can never possibly sort of make it in this world sort of thing. Whereas if you just embrace what you've got and just think, well, it's working for me, it fits. And I just think modesty is a good thing. Like, as long as you're not falling out of it, you know, what's the problem? <laughs> and that's the beauty about the borrow stitching and, and, and hand stitching. And a lot of my things, you'll see the stitches on them. This one I think I did on the machine, but this doesn't even have any stitching much at all. But, you know, like, it's actually to celebrating the, that you've made it yourself by, by the funny stitching and everything. And, I've, as I say, I've often gone over, like this one for example, spring a hole and I've just had to hand stitch it here together and it just adds more to the story of it. Um, uh, uh, the only thing to be careful about is at the back, you don't want to be springing. You know, really, it's, it's about a different way of thinking and not feeling as if we need to be perfect. Whereas we're sold this whole message about new and perfect and I know our industries, you know, want us to be buying more new stuff and all of that, but particularly in the fast fashion, like those, the, the fastest growing millionaires in the world have been the owners of H&M and Zara, and they're, both, they're billionaires, you know, and they've, they've benefited just from uh, encouraging young kids to buy clothes, really, because our, the older people in the room would not be buying excessively like we see now, and see younger people. That feel like they've got to have it and want, you know, just want to have something fresh. Well, they don't know their style yet. They haven't got their colours happening. So, I just think that, yeah, the more conversations we can have, the better. Social media, I think, has got a lot to do with that as well. It does. And I hate to say that because I know it sounds really cliche, but being a mother of um, teenage yes. children, I think social media's got a lot to answer for yeah. waste yes. as well because yes. the um, girls in particular who go out shopping on a Saturday and come back with bags full of things that they might only wear once. They don't want to be seen twice enough because they've already been photographed, you know, on Facebook or Instagram. And they don't actually think about paying it forward. You know, I know, like, 25 years ago with my girlfriends, we'd have clothes swap parties because we didn't have the money or, you know, cheap clothes that you could go and actually um, buy. And I think there needs to be more stuff like this on social media that encourages them to be creative, yes. um, to also be okay with being different because mm. <laughs> that's the other message, they're not confident enough in themselves yes. mm, yeah. to, they've got it, they don't know their style yes. and it does take time yeah, um, and to just to be okay with maybe being a bit different or yeah. you know, mixing yes. styles up a little bit or thinking about what's going to happen to that piece of clothing afterwards. And wear again. Like and wear again. You see some hashtags on them with wear again. Mm -hmm. um, another one was, uh, I saw it, there was a young, a young girl in Victoria, who's, she's called Fashion Advocate. And I just forget what she said. It was something like wear again, but it was more, um, <coughs> more groovy than that. And that was her hashtag, because if something's really nice, she want to wear it more than once. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that was her message. So I think there is a bit of that happening. Just take some young people to step out and say it's actually great because I love it and it's my colour and I just keep wearing it. Thanks very much. And maybe changing up the jewellery or the scarf or the hair, and but not needing. You see, it's kind of as if they think they're good because they're.
got so much variety or something like that. So we need to have the values around care or wearing the same thing just for the fun of it and changing their hairstyle. You know, that's it, colouring your hair, you know, do, just doing different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a hard act, isn't it? And I know, I mean, my daughter's pretty good now, but I guess she never really went shopping much for entertainment because I guess we had a lot of conversations around that and she um, hasn't bought much plastic clothes like mostly she's been buying viscose garments um, which is sort of middle road um, but yeah it's, it's tricky online shopping what's that right? online, online shopping for teenagers it's obviously a one on yes. one off and then she'll just come out with bags and it's yeah. like it's yeah, I think it is huge. It's one off, and it doesn't matter yeah. if it doesn't fit or it doesn't look good. Like so, yeah, and those don't have the mentality about a little bit of money is sort of waste. Yeah, and the other thing about buying without trying on, I find mm -hmm. quite yes. fascinating. Although they do have lots of measurements there often, so you get a bit mm -hmm. of an idea. But I would never buy anything without mm -hmm. trying it on. And you can't feel the fabric. Or anything. Yeah. 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 But I think online shopping is here to stay. So it is. I guess so. And it's pretty shocked out of business, but it's, yes. but, yeah, it's a lot of education that's doing that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so none of it's easy, but um, we can try. Do you think a lot of that buying is emotionally driven? I think so, yeah. And, and also, perhaps out of boredom. You know, yeah. like it's, it's kind of like, oh, it's a cheap thrill just to go shopping. Whereas, I guess that's where you try and encourage them to do more things with their hands. So, okay, if you're bored, well, just make that, do a big blob of stitches there to change it, make it look different for Instagram next time. Oh, look what I did! You know, but, but I, I think that there is that filling up, that sense of um, buying something to make yourself feel good. Um, I don't know what the answer is for that. Yeah, really. sure, mothers and fathers need to be doing it. Yes. Kids will start joining in. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and your girls are great, aren't they, about being creative and reusing? Can't you? Yeah. Mm. They've never been interested in in going shopping much, which is fortunate. But mm. yeah, 14 and 17 year old mm. girls now, and, and even my eldest is in HSC this year, so we'll be doing her formal thing. Mm. And she, she knows, and she's actually really excited by the prospect of going off serious off shopping yes. and changing something. She yes. has no intention of wearing anything new. Yes, yes. No so it's sort of like, I, look, I, we have been lucky, but we've been able to engender this whole philosophy all the way through from when they were very young mm. about the value of stuff and, yeah. And, and having a personal imprint on something that you've that create or really change or something, which yeah. does then give that item much more value mm. in their eyes. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. 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 Mm.
come on in. So we yeah. do the private lessons and we do the classes. Oh, and that's great. Someone who's Yes, yeah. and it just gets in and gets going. Because there was a whole generation that missed out, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and they love it, and they get to do some and they oh, can do great. everything. Oh, of course. It's great. That's fabulous. And so, are you, te how are you teaching them to sew to a pattern then? Or? We start with really basic quilting, so sewing squares together and working from there, and then how to read a pattern. Yes. And then how to ignore what the pattern says and do it however you want to do it. Yes. Because reading a pattern is important to then know yes. how to put it together. Yes. So then you can do it without a pattern. Yes. And put it together yeah. however you want. That's right. And see, I often forget that, that about the, the amount of knowledge that you do pick up over time. Yeah. And it's hard for people to come in and not have any knowledge. So it's great that you're using the sewing machine. I guess my solution is just to say, well, we can just hand stitch. Yeah, I'm using hand stitch. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be like that. Hey, but the machine can't do it. Well, I <laughs> Any other comments or questions? I just would like to add. I think the war on waste has been brilliant for the younger generation. Yes. Um, and the school and Joan, yeah. and my daughter, in the same year, are about to start doing boomerang tags. Oh yes. yes. Um, and I think that that the impact of of war on waste at that mm -hmm. younger level and from primary schools because I think mm -hmm. by the time they've got to high school if they haven't had that influence mm -hmm. in their life yet, yes. at home yes. it's really hard for them you know unless there's something that really strikes a chord with a certain person or whatever but in the, at the younger um, level that has been amazing mm -hmm. um, and more things like this coming into their awareness mm -hmm. um, and they really genuinely feel that they're contributing mm -hmm. like they get really really excited mm -hmm. at the thought of saving a plastic bag mm -hmm. or you know like or I refused Evie in Kmart the other day which was a little bit embarrassing for her because <laughs> I feel very strongly about it but she found this little t-shirt that was only a dollar mm -hmm. and I said to her no way. She said, it's only a dollar. Mm. And I said, I don't care. It's so it's not it. And I said, yes. can you imagine yeah. what is behind that? That mm. could have been made by a child. And I refused to spend a dollar. Mm. And she was kind of like, and she had a little friend with her. And I think she, you know, she mm. kind of blushed and everything. But I thought, no. Mm. So it's that pushback. It's like, no, I don't want any presents. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not really about the money. It's yeah. about what goes yeah. behind it. It's based on exploiting either labour or the environment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, resources but, but people. Yeah. yeah, what it's based on. Mm. And there are some great things really there is some brilliant education now that I'm finding, especially with our girls in primary school, mm. um, and the animal, like the environmental impact, showing the children mm. what has happened because of the ignorance of a certain mm. generation, and it has mm. been that 10, 15 year gap, I reckon, where yeah. that you know, so much was made was in such a short space of time. And nobody knew about the end yeah. result. Yes. And yeah. now we're paying the price. Yeah. Yes. And our children will continue to pay the price. Yes. Unless they do something about it going yeah. forward. Yeah. Mm. But they can't until we do one else. Mm. Well, you've got to kind of role model it in a way. And that's why it's up to everyone who's at the conscious stage to sort of help educate others. And I think the thing about the war on waste, those young girls going shopping, yeah. I mean, I was shocked. I didn't know anyone like that that would buy, throw out the whole wardrobe because there was no room for new things, you know. And it's just kind of like, things that haven't even been worn yet. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, and, and I think that, I mean, hopefully there'll be more programs like and more awareness raising around different things. Well, the boomerang bags took off 
Fantastic. It's a great day. Yes. yes. To the yes. point where we're meeting every Thursday morning for two hours at Maple Mall. Yes. Knowing full well that most of the households are keeping theirs instead of reading them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sports bags. And yes. So we don't really mind. Well, I think I actually feel the model needs to be like it was the way it was conceived that if you forget it, but now I just think they should be being sold. So we are selling so as well, yeah. five dollars each. Yes, yeah. The more, more nice, you know, yeah. matching um, fabrics and things like that. And it's it's a fabulous movement because yeah. it uses up, you know, small pieces. It's a... Uh, um, people meeting and talking about things and teaching sewing skills and you know it's opportunity to learn. And you actually feel guilty if you're seen buying something in a plastic bag. Yes, yeah. You just can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, even though nobody actually says anything. No. You just no. say, well, if I've forgotten my boomerang bags, I'll go and get, come get a box. Yes. And sometimes if I haven't taken enough bags to the shops, I'll just put things in the trolley, like yeah. my books or something, I'll get them out of the bag and use mm -hmm. that one. So it's it's just, it's thinking, isn't it? It comes back yeah. to just thinking about and making the decision. And the cashier, they ask you, you know? Mm -hmm. They ask you, do you want a bag? And yes. Think, no, no, of course not. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. So it's happening. It's only a drop well, yeah. it starts with one person yeah, doing things right. differently, doesn't it? And that's what we all need to understand, that we can all do something. Mm -hmm. um, whatever we do and whoever we influence, you know, in, around us, it's all helping. Mm -hmm. So anything else? How are we going? I think we're right on time. Very good. Thank you for such an interesting, thought-provoking and mm -hmm. inspiring talk. Mm -hmm. Wonderful to have you here. Um, I'm sure you'll be available to sign. Oh, yes, yes, I think we can um, do um, that. Which is mm -hmm. how much? It's twenty-eight dollars. So I've only got cash, um, or I have my bank account, and I'm happy to take it on trust mm -hmm. if you want to take one and transfer the money later. I haven't got the little my card machine working yet. So um, thanks so much for your interest and. Um, Wonderful that you could come out and thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, thank you.